please lock the cage doors at this time. Today, we get to study stepping into the cage. Volume that I had to find a, a vehicle that would allow me to do that where there was some mechanism of truth or reality in that the character was losing his mind. So his behavior, his body language, his facial expressions were also the result of a man who was having a nervous breakdown. So therefore I could become very stylistic. Let's explore the boundaries of where you can go with acting. Adventure films were the universal language, and I thought that if I would do that, it would give me tenure. Hey, buddy, ever heard of a lie? Hey, have you ever been dragged to the sidewalk and beaten till you pissed blood? It was a movie that was shot very quickly, three or four weeks, and I'm thankful for that because I was exploring a very dark corner of my imagination doing that movie, and I was trying to get a little method with the performance. You just put it in the right file, according to alphabetical order. You know, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, S, T, U, V, do you X, Y, Z? Huh? That's all you have to do! Bravo! Bra-fucking-o! Me and the wife, uh, since I started doing the uh, wrestling watching, huh? my wife's not a big fan of that, you know? <laughs> you know. I'm really enjoying it, and she doesn't want me to stop watching it, you know, because she knows I enjoy it, but she herself is just not going to watch it. So we have to find, like, something to watch together. We decided that we wanted to watch The Sopranos again. Oh, and great. we decided this a few days ago, and I had the night off last night, and I totally fucked it up and watched wrestling instead. <laughs> and so I had to put in the TV show time tonight. Watch an episode, get, get it kicked off tonight. So I want to make sure I give my girl as much time as possible. So. I'm getting to be that old gray wolf, man. That get that bread, get that hustle, that kind of shit's fading. Yeah. <laughs> Which it should. I'm that war veteran that I have like that giant facial scar on my face. Just I've worked every Friday and Saturday night for the last 12 years straight. But I mean, but you've already achieved that. Like, move on to the next thing. Then you can be the scar faced warrior of the, uh, you know, the yeah. AM. See, you know, well, I've, I've, been, I've been opening this fucking place. <laughs> I just yeah. can't wait to go out on a Friday night and experience the world and, and be that old veteran that just goes to a bar or restaurant on a Friday night at 10 p.m. and goes, I know how it feels. Just the stress in all their eyes. You know how it is. You just go, oh, oh I could jump behind that bar right now and just save the fucking day. <laughs> His birthday on Sunday. Did you see that big crab dinner I made? Yeah, dude. Yeah, we would ham. <laughs> Fucking hey, dude. That's kind of our favorite thing is crab. So uh, you know, mm -mm -mm. what would you season it with? Man, just some old bay. I mean, I steam it in some lemon and, and a little bit of a crab boil sauce to get a little bit of something in there. But I just steam them at the house and then old bay the shit out of them. And garlic butter, baby. You good? Do you want to give Taylor a shout out or for his birthday? T dog. Yeah. Whoa, whoa. 
Yeah, man. I mean, he's April 24th birthday. He's born 89. So at least he's an 80s baby, but barely. <laughs> All right, so you ready to go? Let's do it. All right, here we go. <clears throat> Hello, everyone, and welcome to Spitting the Real Shit, the only weekly movie podcast made exclusively by, for, and about the online Facebook group, The Real Shit. And you are catching us on a very special day because this is our 72nd episode ever. And today, we go back to the well as we bring you the sixth volume of Stepping Into the Cage, our ongoing Nicolas Cage double feature series. And this time around, we checked out Cage's brand new movie in theaters now, The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, along with the 1999 Scorsese Cage collabo, Bringing Out the Dead. Along with these two films, we also look at some of the awards Cage has accrued with a round of trivia. Uh, my name is Charlie Thompson, founder, administrator, and bracket master of The Real Shit. And joining me, as always, is my co-host and fellow administrator, the midnight movie maniac himself, Rylan Johnson. What's going on, man? Our boy Nick Cage, he's just, he's so hot right now, that Nick Cage. I'm loving it, man. His recent success, he's on everything. He's on talk shows now, and he's living his best life, and I'm so happy. Our first guest tonight is an Oscar winner, a ghostwriter, and one of the most talented and fascinating movie stars of all. Next, he stars as Nick and Nicolas Cage in The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. It opens in theaters Friday. Please welcome Nicolas Cage. To see you. I, I, uh, I'm, I'm really, this is a big night for me. Is it? This is the, I know it's 420 and all that, yeah. but uh, <laughs> this is the first time I have been on national television on a talk show in 14 years. In 14 years? And I, wow. I waited for you and your audience. Well, thank you. Like I said, we, we started this game. We were Nick Cage fans from the 90s, and we've just, you know, we started an entire uh, series about it on our podcast. So he's finally coming around, and everybody's, uh, you know, finally realizing what an epic human being he is. I'm so excited for the future of, of this series and, and Nick Cage and what he's about to do. So, yeah, let's fucking go. The future's bright, dude. <laughs> he's uh, got to wear shades, bro. <laughs> uh, well, first things first. Do you guys know this one? Gentlemen, you have my curiosity. Now you have my attention. Shake your ass. Watch yourself. Shake your ass. Show me what you're working for. Shake your ass. Watch yourself. Shake your ass. This is our first episode since the bracket ended. We wanted to make sure we gave props to the cage match champion. Raising Arizona is your bracket champion for the Nicolas Cage film bracket. I could not be more excited. I called it a week out. I know Rylan called the face-off was going to win mm -hmm, this thing. Mm -hmm. But face-off didn't even make it to the final. Thoughts, Rylan, thoughts. I mean, I do call you the architect. You know, I, I give a lot of credit to Raising Arizona. I love it. I think it's kind of what birthed the cage. What if we didn't have that? Would he have ever just been himself? Of course he would have because he's an amazing badass. But... You have to get props to, to raising. But, you know, at the same time, I just don't think it's his best. Cowboy girl, you need a real Off top, back is hurting shit. Bend over, ho, show me what you're working with. Shake your ass. Watch yourself. Shake your ass. Show me what you're working with. Attention, all your plays and pimps right now in the place to be. I don't think it's anywhere near, not anywhere near. I think it's probably maybe his top 15, but... 
He's just done so much better stuff. If leaving Las Vegas would have won, I'd have been happy. If Face Off or Con Air would have won, I'd have been like, meh. But, you know, that's just my opinion on the bracket. I'm not upset about it, but I was a little surprised. Well, you know, I've noticed that whenever you get down to the finals in these brackets, if you really look at his action trilogy, he really is working with a lot of different people. Mm-hmm. You know, you got Connery and The Rock. You got a whole slew of character actors and Con Air. Yeah. And then, and then you got John Travolta sharing the equal amount of time. And so at the very end of the day, he's he's contributing to these action films, but he's not necessarily the star. I watched Con Air recently and it just doesn't mm. hold up. It's so mm-hmm. cheesy. If you don't kind of know late 90s actors, they were great character actors of the time. If you're 21 years old, you were born in the year 2000, 2001. You know, you might not have cut his, his early career, which was his most successful. So if you go back and look at Con Air, it just doesn't hold up. I was just like, oh, Face Off holds up way better, in my opinion, than Con Air. That's interesting. I think Con Air holds up way better than Face Off. Really? I like the dynamic between the two characters in Face Off, even though, you know, it's not the most, you know, well-written. And... No, there was some cool dynamic between the two that I really enjoyed, like, you know, mono e mono kind of shit. And, and I watched Con Air and I'm just like, it just it's a little over the top when you really look at it. So <laughs> here's uh, one of the other reasons why I enjoy Con Air over the other two. And it's because once you get into the third act of The Rock, I kind of get bored. There's so much heavy editing and that, you know, just that orchestra, that it's so dark down there. And, you know, the action scenes just kind of run into each other near the end. And the same thing with Face Off. Once Caster Troy goes back to his apartment high rise or whatever and they break in and, and shoot that place up, my interest really fades after that. But with Con Air, I can watch the whole fucking movie. Can we just meld them into one movie? Okay, so this is what we're going to get. We're going to get kind of face-off's premise. We're going to throw in Sean Connery and Ed Harris. Ed Harris is going to be the bad guy because we got to have our boy Ed. You know what I'm saying? And then throw in the, the goofy scenario of the plane. What if they did the face surgery on the plane? On the plane, on and the it was plane. John Malkovich switched faces with Ed Harris. <laughs> Shake your ass. Show me what you're working with. Shake your ass. But watch yourself. Yeah, John Malkovich bangs Joan Allen. John uh, <laughs> Malkovich bangs Joan Allen, <laughs> and then he flies to San Francisco. The little green balls from the rock. We got to have those in there somehow, some way. Maybe it's like uh, then the plane crashes, right? And it's like right near the Bay Area. It crashes before Alcatraz, and the rest of the movie is them trying to get to Alcatraz. Oh, to set up base stronghold. There you go. I'm going to go meta on you. Daniel Craig shows up. He's Sean Connery's retired. Sean Connery, you can't even pay him enough to show up. So Daniel Craig is the Sean Connery fill-in. Could you imagine a hand-to-hand fight between Nick Cage and <laughs> Daniel Craig? <laughs> Take my money now. I can hear Rylan undoing his belt right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm down. Let's, let's get some money together. <laughs> Anyways. So yeah, so this episode's all about Cage. So much so that me and Rylan actually went to go see an early screening of his brand new film, The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. And it's kind of in a peculiar way that we were able to see this film. Oh my God! Every once in a while, a movie comes along that's so hilarious. I say, ha! And so lovable. I love you! I love you! You'll want to see it in a theater. Hit the brakes! Don't worry, he's totally passed out. 
massive talent. Grabbier than you look. Ah. I have a very big head. Waited R, April 22nd. So I want to say back in like, I want to say it was episode 25, almost wow. 50 episodes ago. Uh, we had a guest on named Anthony Milton, and we talked about the movie uh, Big Trouble in Little China. If I'm oh, correct. great. Yes. Um, Anthony Milton is not a member of The Real Shit. As a matter of fact, he runs his own movie group that I'm a part of. It's called the Super Serious Movie Club Gang. It's, it's, a, it's a whole mouthful. Did you hear that, everybody? Charlie's cheating on us. <laughs> and back in 2018, I got a hold of them and proposed the idea of running the bracket in their group. Just as a total experiment, just to see a, on, in a whole new audience if I'm able to gain interest. You know, because a lot of people in the real shit in the beginning, especially in 2016, they were just my friends. You know, they were just like my, my homies that knew that I liked movies. And so it was kind of hard to gauge, you know, whether they really liked it or they were just kind of like, ooh, Charlie's doing a movie game, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so, you know, I, I wanted to do like a control on my experiment. And so what if I just if I just did a whole different audience who didn't know me from Adam, who was just looking at this content and just started to engage? And I got to tell you, Rylan, it took off like wildfire. These guys just immediately latched onto it. There were so many ideas, you know, just commenting. They couldn't wait for the next one. And then when this cage match came around, it was a perfect opportunity to uh, go watch a movie together because the Nick Cage film was coming out. We had planned this meetup, me and this other group. Me and Rylan were trying to make plans on seeing the film. And I was like, hey, actually, I have free tickets to this movie. We just have to drive to Plano. And I told him what the the situation was. He's totally down. And so me and Rylan, we went to go meet these other members of this group that voted in a cage match that I did simultaneously with the real shit and the reception was so fucking cool i gotta say yeah dude, um, they loved you you've mentioned before when we meet people in the real shit we have so much interaction over facebook that oh, it's really cool to meet these people face to face they have so much love for you because they know how much work goes into what you do and they respect you and love the game everybody loves a, a friendly competition it's not surprising at all that they caught on to that and love it because the real shit loves it and it was cool. It was great. It was great to be around movie lovers. And I knew once I saw some fellow Nick Cage shirts, I was in good company because both love for movies and uh, the actor that is Nicolas Cage. So in some ways, this bracket was kind of more to me personally. Well, I would have never been in the room with these people ever if it wasn't for the bracket and just how the internet works and all that kind of mind-blowing hippie type shit. We met a fellow, a, another Ryland in the wild. There was another guy named Ryland. It was I was, about, I was about to pull up my Highlander sword and we were about to battle, but I was like, not here, not now. <laughs> then we met down at the Applebee's down the street and I beheaded him and now I'm still here, so. And you got the quickening, motherfucker. Yeah, yeah, yeah it, it, it felt great. <laughs> just at the Applebee's parking lot, I'm just quickening in front of everyone. Hey, give me those potato skins. Yeah, you're really tired after the quickening. Yeah, you just, yeah, 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 yeah. Hey, give me a dollar margarita and some potato skins before I die. How's everybody doing over here? Dolly, so oh, good. It's oh, really, so good. Okay. You know, I, I just, I hate to be a pain, darling, but uh, I asked for no onions on my bourbon steak. I am so sorry. I thought you asked okay. for okay. onions. Maybe don't interrupt me. Sorry, I didn't mean to. Yeah, well, I think you did mean to, and I also think that you meant to put the damn onions on my steak. And yeah, so it was really neat. It was really neat to meet everybody that I interacted with online. So it was, it was super special for me. And uh, I just wanted to let everybody know if there's any super serious listeners who have found this show through that group. It's nothing but love, guys. I love being a part of it. I can't wait to show you guys the next bracket. But speaking of the next bracket, 
I really don't have anything planned right now uh, as far as real idea for the next bracket. I know that I want to do something like at the end of May, but nothing immediate, guys. So it's probably going to be about four or five weeks before you hear anything more about the next bracket. So just stay tuned to the group and the podcast, guys. There will be one on the horizon. I just don't know what it is yet. So. Even a song but pins and needles. <laughs> I don't mean to be that way. You know, I'm just trying to make sure I, I, I get a good one. You know, um, I love audience engagement and I, I want to make sure that everybody enjoys and maybe watches a new film or two along the way, you know. So, yeah, guys, just stay tuned to the page. I'll totally keep you informed on what's going on, guys. So, but after that, Rowan, you got anything else uh, before we step into the cage? My fight music's playing. Let's step into the cage. Let's go. <laughs> let's go. Let's do this. Time to play the game. Time to play the game! As with all other Stepping Into the Cage episodes, we always try to form fit a fun game around the man himself, and we got a good one today. So, Rowan, let's kick this thing off with a game. Let's play a game. It's all about the game, and how you play it. It's all about control. And if you can take it, it's all about your death. And if you can play it, it's all about pain. And who's gonna make it? In the constant pursuit of trying to learn more about this enigma, Nicolas Cage, we ran across just lots of fun facts about the man. One of the fun facts that I couldn't escape this time around was the number of awards this man has been nominated for along his entire career. It's pretty impressive. Me and Ryan were talking and I said, you know what? What if we did like a kind of a trivia type thing where it's me giving you the questions? In the hot seat. Basically, I'm going to throw out a few roles that he was nominated for, and Rylan has to guess whether he won that award or was just nominated for it. It's kind of a brand new game. We're still working the kinks out, so bear with us. But uh, I have a few questions already, so Rylan, are you ready for this Cage Award trivia? And I'm going to give it my best try. You sure you're ready for this? I'll do my best. Your best? Losers always whine about their best. Winners go home and fuck the prom queen. So, uh, do you know what the BAFTA awards are? Mm Mm-hmm. Yes. They're basically the British Oscars. British Oscars, yeah. Nicolas Cage has been nominated for two BAFTA awards. What roles do you think those two nominations were for? Oh, my God. Okay. I mean, I have to say leaving Las Vegas because he won the Oscar for that one. Maybe I shouldn't breathe so much, Terry. <laughs> BAFTAs usually mirror the Oscars to a point, but they also favor British films. And I cannot think of a British film that, that he's been in that would be major, you know, oh, adaptation. See, he's, he's actually really the cop and the girl. All of them are him. Isn't that fucked up? I'm going to say adaptation and leaving Las Vegas. <laughs> Did I get them both right? You got them both right. Now. Wow. I never do that. <laughs> now, here's the bonus question. Okay. Did Nicolas Cage win one, the other, neither, or both? I'm going to say he got shafted and didn't win any. Hallelujah. Ding, 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 ding. Wow. <laughs> I have Cage in my blood. <laughs> no, actually, that's a really educated guess because... I think critically, and to be honest, talent-wise, those are his, by far his two best roles. 
Oh, and BAFTA. Yeah. I mean, it's just as prestigious as the Oscar. Yeah, movie. exactly. He was nominated for an Oscar for adaptation as well. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, a lot of people don't understand. Like, he's an Oscar winner. My really close buddy Greg, him and his wife wanted to go see The Unbearable Weight. You know, Greg is kind of up to date on Cage. You know, he's nowhere near a movie guy like us, but he knows how squirrely he's got, you know? His wife had no no clue. She's not much of a movie person. So he threw out a list of Nick Cage movies and he's like, I'm going to show her Gone in 60, uh, The Rock, and uh, Con Air. And I'm like, those are great. Well, I go, Addition with Face Off, those are his best action movies slash most profitable and most popular. But I go, you have to throw in one of his best acting roles. He has one Oscar win. And I go, it's for Leaving Las Vegas. So he showed his wife all those. Did you get any feedback off of uh, Yes. I mean, I was kind of worried because I, I even forewarned him because his wife's not much into like really heavy dramas and she's more lighthearted with stuff. And I was like, it's a pretty dark film. That's his trophy. A, That's his trophy, baby. Film. I know he's got that proudly displayed somewhere. Well, you know, another thing that I really find interesting about that role is that he did it. He got the acclaim for it. But then he never went back to that. He never went back yeah. to that drunk yep. guy. He did it once, and that's all he needed to do it. He didn't try and take the money on these other, you know, maybe other roles he could have played a drunk guy in in a big blockbuster. He didn't do that. As a matter of fact, he went into his action trilogy right after that. Yeah. His decision-making, I think it's great. It's very, very accurate, you know, if, if you will. It's not greedy at all. And I think that's so dope about Nick Cage. But uh, besides the drama portion... Did you know that there is a thing called an American Comedy Award? No. Tuesday, our funniest comics get rewarded. It's two hours of laughs plus a special tribute to Lucy on the third annual American Comedy Awards. Tuesday. Yes, uh, it is a real thing, and Nicolas Cage has been nominated twice for the award. What two films do you think he got nominated for in the American Comedy Award? He got nominated for the award for funniest actor in a motion picture leading role both times but the american comedy awards is solely a, a award show about comedies obviously correct, correct. only they, made they, in america <laughs> yes they, they they show love to american comedy okay so funny nick cage i mean you got to go raising well now honey we've been over this and over this and there's what's right and there's what's right and never the twain shall meet um i'm gonna okay. say that's one choice and then another one i'm gonna go with oh man There's something I'm missing because I know he's got more comedies than that. Moonstruck? I mean, he's not funny in that. Um, <laughs> he's kind of funny. <laughs> he's kind of funny, but I'm like, he doesn't have that stupid role that he doesn't have that dumb and dumb around a dummy role. Um, oh, man, that's really hard. I cannot even think of a second comedy, to be honest. Looks like I'm kind of stuck right now. You did get the first one, right? Raising Arizona okay. was nominated. Now, did it win or was it just nominated? What do you think? I'd say it was too quirky to win. Okay, so just got nominated. You are correct. Yeah. Two in a yeah. row. Are you giving up on the second entry? You, you know, I, is it something really bad like uh, like Ghost Rider? He's so comically bad in that. No. God damn it. No, it's not. <laughs> you ready? Yeah. He got nominated for Honeymoon in Vegas. I had a straight flush. Hey, how you doing? Do you know what a straight flush is? It's like unbeatable honeymoon and fate oh yes that's james con and sarah Jessica james con yeah he's mm -hmm. great in that i couldn't think of him being funny it's been so long last chance for a point do you think he won that award or did he just get nominated i'm gonna say he won it he was with james con james con wins shit <laughs> that is incorrect he uh, nominated. god damn it damn you james con <laughs> now moving on to some heavy hitters here do you remember the blockbuster entertainment awards damn i wish i did you don't remember those? No, I didn't. 
in the late 90s, whenever Blockbuster was like the biggest thing, they got up enough gumption to make their own award. It's just basically bringing celebrities out for the sake of bringing them out, you know. One night, one network. You pick the winners. Now celebrate with your favorites. Plus, performances by Mariah Carey, Mark Anthony, Uncle Cracker featuring Kid Rock, and Enrique Iglesias. The sixth annual Blockbuster Entertainment Awards, Tuesday, June 20th on Fox. Nick Cage got nominated three times for the award for favorite actor. And these movies all circle around the years of 97 and 98. All right. So just keep that in mind. Yeah. Okay. Three nominations. Do you think you can name all three, two, maybe one? Let's take a stab at it. All right. So I'm going to say Face Off the Rock and City of Angels. Final answer. Yeah. Dude, I mean, for it being that quick, uh, you got two out of the three. You got Face Off for favorite actor, action, adventure. And then you also got City of Angels. I thought City of Angels was going to be the dark horse in that group. (laughs) How did I miss? I'll give you one more chance to figure out the third move. Um, Okay, man. Well, I know my cage. Um, It's only between those two years. Uh, God, it's got to be it's got to be Con Air then. Incorrect. God damn it. Uh, It was for the movie Snake Eyes. Ah, I love Snake Eyes. (laughs) Great fucking murder mystery. So here's the big question. What did he win? What did he get nominated for? Neither or all three? Uh, I want to say he definitely won. I'm going to say something goofy and be like, it's Blockbuster. I bet City of Angels had so many rentals because it was a romantic movie. So I bet he won for City of Angels and then lost for The Rock. It was Face Off. I mean, I'm at Face Off, yeah. What about Snake Eyes? Do you think he won Snake Snake Eyes? I'm going to say Dark Horse, yes. I mean, you were so close. He actually won (laughs) all three awards. Oh, God damn it. How am I ever going to doubt Face Off? I know, I know. Yeah, so so he literally has three Blockbuster Entertainment Awards sitting on his shelf somewhere. we got a couple more rounds here. Um, it's the best I've ever done on any game, just so you know. I'm, t- I'm telling <laughs> you. Uh, let's go to the Golden Globes. I know they're not the most popular oh. thing, but they, but they used to be a kind of a, a big thing. Nicolas Cage was nominated for four Golden Globes. God damn. What four performances do you think he was nominated for? Man. All right, so I'm going to go old school, and I'm going to go weird with it just to kind of throw a wrench in it. All right, so okay. Moonstruck. Okay. It Could Happen to You. Okay. Leaving Las Vegas. And then probably Adaptation. Like, you know, two earlies, two shoe-ins. Dude, you are smoking off the Nicolas Cage pack, baby. Are you, you kidding? Did three, I get them all right? You got three uh, out of four. What did I miss? It Could Happen to You did not yeah, get Yeah, I figured. So we'll get one more chance. Okay, uh, it's got to be a heavy hitter. Um, man. And I don't want the world to see me Cause I don't think they'd understand Shit, man, I don't know. Uh, let's go with, um, I don't know, something weird like the weatherman or something. Incorrect. God Damn it! Uh, he actually got nominated again for Honeymoon in Vegas. Yeah, I think, uh, I I'm think you're not giving doubting up. Honeymoon in Vegas. It's a sleeper, dude. I had a straight flush. Hey, how you doing? Do you know what a straight flush is? It's like unbeatable. So of these four roles, he only won one of them. Which role do you think he won the Golden Globe for? Uh, I mean, I think the safe bet is going to be quirky, weird adaptation. 
Incorrect. Ah. God damn it. He won for leaving Las Vegas. He got the Golden Globe and he got the, the Oscar. Oscar. Dude, he killed it. Fucking wow. Good. Okay, so now we're getting into the fucking heavy hitter. The MTV right. Movie <laughs> Award. I mean, MTV at its height was really successful and popular. And they were producing movies. They had a huge movie show that everyone watched. I mean, I was obviously a teenager, so I always checked in. But it was fun. It was quirky. It was different. They had skits. I still can't handle the Ben Stiller, Tom Cruise, Mission Impossible 2 skit. We've worked together for so long now. It's almost like, uh, I don't know, it's kind of like we, we almost finish each other's sentences, kind of. I mean, I don't think we've ever finished each, each other's, other's sentences. sentences. <laughs> ben Stiller does the perfect Tom Cruise. He's like his little stunt double, and he's sitting there laughing with him, and it's just, oh, it's just so funny. If you've never seen that, look that up on YouTube. It's it's only 23 years old now, but uh, being a little mini Tom Cruise, and it makes me laugh. But it was great. They had music merged with movies, so it was it was fun. I want to say whenever, I guess, the Twilight movies started infesting the MTV Movie Awards is when I kind of tuned out. Whenever every winner of every award show for the next like, four <laughs> years was a Twilight person. I'm not sure if you even followed it at that point. No, yeah, see, but I was out I was out of the game then. Twilight completely overtook. It was a, an award show based on audience votes, you know? And so, like, whoever won was the most popular out of the votes, you know? Well, we saw the best years, you know? We saw the, the late 90s when Spider-Man and Toby was kicking ass and Jim Carrey was going up there being weird and Limp Bizkit was in there with Britney Spears and all that, all that cool shit, man. It was great. Oh, hell yeah. Nicolas Cage himself is no stranger to the MTV Movie Award. Matter of fact, he got nominated five times. He actually got nominated three times in the same year for the same movie. What do you think that movie is, Rylance? Uh, I would say The Rock. Incorrect. Uh, God damn it! One more try. Gotta be Face Off. It is, it was Face Off. He got nominated for three different awards. One was Best On-Screen Duo. The other was Best Male Performance. Oof. And the third was Best Villain. And he won one of those three. What award do you think he won? Gotta be the duo. Man, look at you, dude. You are killing it, man. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! It's one of the best duos of all time. I mean, <laughs> maybe other than Demolition Man with John Spartan and Simon Phoenix, is there two better foes than Nick Cage playing Johnny T and Johnny T playing Nick Cage? <laughs> what the fuck's going on right now? This movie screams MTV. I mean, if I'm being honest. And speaking of on-screen duos, his two other nominations were for the award for best on-screen duo in its respective wow. years. Yeah. Um, what do you think the other two roles are that he got nominated? It's gotta be obviously The Rock with Sean Connery. Okay. And then, I mean, was it adaptation against himself maybe? You, you're circling around it, man, but you didn't get it. <laughs> uh, the, the Rock was the, the other nomination. The third on-screen duo nomination that he was nominated for was for City of Angels with him and Matt oh, Ryan. Oh, that's a um, great duo.
like you said, blockbuster. They got a lot of yeah, rentals. You know, these, yeah. these kids, these kids, they love that romance shit. Okay, so of those two, City of Oof. Angels or The Rock, one of them won. Which you one? You got to give it to Sean Connery. <laughs> I mean, Meg Ryan, I love you, but not happening. Yes, that is correct. He won yeah. for The Rock. He did. He only got nominated for City of Angels. Man, that was fun, man. I really enjoyed that game. Uh, <laughs> man, you are you are killing it with that. I just feel like a, a like a sensei sitting in my little temple, my little cage temple, knowing all my knowledge of of Nicolas Cage. No, I knew he won the Oscar, and that's it. I was really impressed. I got to tell you. Thank you again. You know, you know we fun. love playing these games. Thank you. You are entirely welcome. And now, let us all go to my house for a little sponge cake and a little wine and oh, shit. After that, we got a couple more things we got to do. We got to do this double feature, Ryland. You ready to step a little further into the cage and talk about these movies? Full bore ahead into the cage. Let's do this. So we had a double feature for this Stepping Into the Cage volume. We watched Bringing Out the Dead and The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. What's the worry here, Nick? You've lost some of your talent as an actor? No. <laughs> what did he say? He says he loves you, but he went in a different direction. I'm done. I'm quitting acting. Tell the trades it was a tremendous honor to be a part of storytelling and myth-making. Ah, fuck, man. I'm driving through the hills. I'm sorry. One more time. We got another offer. It's a million bucks. It's to attend a wealthy gentleman's birthday party. I would never do that. It's the easiest gig ever. You play yourself. What do we know about this guy anyway? Is he into something strange? It's not like he's gonna want you to suck his dick or fuck his wife or watch you watch him fuck his wife. I wouldn't think so. Welcome to Mallorca, Mr. Cage. The guy that owns this house, what's his name? Javi. Is Javi gonna want me to, uh... I am Javi. Nick Cage. God, this place is stunning. What is your favorite movie? That's one of those questions that's impossible to answer. You can't just limit it to one. Imagine me and you, I do. Is it too much? Is this supposed to be me? It's grotesque. I'll give you 20,000 for it. I can't see me loving nobody but you for all my life. I didn't know that was a cliff. We could have died. I'm in position. I think that's the actor Nick Cage. Nick Cage? I love you. Have you seen Croods 2? I'm 44 years old. Why the fuck would I see Croods 2? I've seen Face Off and Con Air. I'm kicking the dog. What do you guys want? We're with Central Intelligence. Do you know who you're spending time with? One of the most ruthless men on the face of this planet. I need you to help the U.S. government. Find a way into that room, Nick. I can see myself doing more of this stuff. I think I might have a real gift for it. Good, because we got another mission for you. No, 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 no. Your friend is working for the U.S. government. Don't lie to me. Are those my golden guns? They're my golden guns. I don't want to kill you. You're the last person I want to kill. I love you. I love you. You just be Sally. Give me 
I'm Nick So this is a brand baby new movie, man. Yes. Um, we're talking about less than a week out at the time of this talk. We were able to catch it a day early. I was so excited about that. I guess we'll get to overall thoughts later. But I thought the whole night was just really cool. We talked about it earlier. I was able to meet up with some fellow film fans, and we all just collectively watched this movie in a theater. I was going to ask you, though, when was the last time you went to see a brand new Nicolas Cage movie at a theater? Um, God, I want to say maybe... Gone in 60? That's what I'm thinking. Like, like that long ago. I have not seen a new Nicolas Cage movie in the theater since maybe Gone in 60 or... God, did he do Wind Talkers after that? Wind Talkers was 2001. And Gone in 60 was 2000. 2000, yeah. So maybe Wind Talkers. <laughs> um, no, 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 no. Oh, definitely. I'm sorry. The first Ghost Rider I went to go see. Tell us about Ghost Rider. His taste was on fire. Like... Nice bike. Let's ride. Ghost Rider. You're right. I feel like my skull's on fire, but I'm good. PD 13. Yep, in theaters. Let's see. Uh, National Treasure. I think me and the wife went to go see the sequel in the theaters. That was 2007, which is still, you know, 15 years ago. So. This is a clue. The only question is which Statue of Liberty? Exactly. Just to be clear, is there more than one? Treasure Book of Secrets rated PG. That's crazy how long it's actually been since you know you put your shoes on and go to the theater for Nick Cage. You know, it's yeah, crazy. Yeah. Did you did you have any numbers so far as, as to what uh, it made? made 10 million dollars worldwide? 11 million in the, in the last week, yeah. If I would have had prices right rules, I probably would have said 20 to 30, which it might get to just by mm-hmm. word of mouth. And you know, it is catching wind, you know, that great commercial with Rotten Tomatoes, tons of love to our boy. Massive talent is 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. Please don't freak out. It's wild and funny. Do like a fake laugh. <laughs> I mean, that means a lot in today's world. Like that's why my two friends who really aren't movie buffs, he made his wife watch how many four Nicolas Cage movies <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> to watch all of these. And then we'll go. He was excited. You know, he had heard this thing was supposed to be really good. Sorry, my dog was going crazy. Speak for yourself, moron. <laughs> oh my god, that is funny. With a budget of thirty million dollars, it's, it's got to get there. I was saying thirty million in its you know first few weeks, but once you get to video and streaming and all that, it, it'll it'll make its money. It's really the internet that's going to be the one to make or break this film. You know, they're the ones that kind of created this whole mythos. So unless you can support this man, I know he's got the uh, the Dracula film on deck. But, I mean, let's go support our boy. He's still got some in the tank, guys. I swear to God. But we're not talking about Renfield. We're talking about this movie. It's kind of a love child of a couple of comedy writers who just kind of submitted this script to Lionsgate. And Lionsgate was willing to to finance this movie. And uh, I think even Nick Cage threw a few bucks towards the production. So he's invested. Lionsgate's invested. They brought a small handful of great actors. Pedro Pascal, uh, Neil Patrick Harris, Tiffany Haddish. If you don't know what the plot line is, it's basically Nicolas Cage playing him. Himself. I guess the joke is, is that he's still kind of in the red as far as his money is concerned. One of the jobs he gets offered is like a million dollars to just attend this billionaire's birthday party. Nick Cage being Nick Cage, he accepts the offer and then they're off to the races. And then the story progresses from there. It was yep. so refreshing to me. 
he looked great. You know, I, th- I thought he looked good too. You know, he's trying to be that movie star in this and play that role, which I don't, you know, I don't, I really think he's more humble than that character he was playing, but it's so meta. When I saw the first blurbs about it and I saw Pedro Pascal, I'm like, man, he's really hot right now. That Pedro Pascal, um, <laughs> like, why did he join onto this? Like, I thought this was going to be another, you know, I mean, I hate to say, but you know, the last 10 years of Nick Cage's career has been very, very sketch you know i was like man what is this, this is going to be stupid it's, it's going to be you know really badly directed and written and the cash grab he's you know just being himself no it was it, it blew me away it was so much better than anticipated the, the directing was great him and pedro pascal's chemistry was probably you know the, the shining light of this if i don't think if they had that chemistry it would have been as fun it had some weight to it yeah it had some uh, unbearable weight <laughs> the type of movie he's doing like this is such a small subsect of movies even attempt this because it's so tough to get the person to let go of their ego. So it's really humbling. Only a few people have ever done it. I want to say notable performances. Bruce Campbell did a movie called My Name is Bruce where he played himself and then like some aliens came down or whatever and he had to fight them. You know his name. Bruce Campbell is the greatest actor of his generation. Bruce Campbell. Hey, I know that guy. Unlike most action stars, I can speak, what's the word? English. It's very much Bruce Campbell playing himself in in an action type movie. There was a movie released, I want to say in the last five years, called The Last Movie Star. And it it starred uh, Burt Reynolds. I got to show you this. What do you think? You're being honored. He will be presented with a Lifetime Achievement Award. So what? Look who the previous winners are. Robert De Niro, Jack Nicholson, and Clint Eastwood. Mr. Edwards. Yeah. You should see this rat hole. You're there already. Just enjoy it. The story of Burt Reynolds in his later years, a depiction of how he's perceived by society and how this small group of critics, of film critics, want to give an award to this actor. His, his name isn't Burt Reynolds in the movie. There are shades of him being an old you know, 70s star, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's a great dramatic performance by Burr Reynolds. And if you haven't had a chance to check out the last movie star. And then, of course, there's always that great documentary called uh, My Date with Drew, all about Drew Barrymore. 30 days for one man's dream to come true. Hi, my name is Brian, and this is my quest. I have 30 days to get one date with Drew Barrymore. Shake it. It's a really cool documentary about uh, just, you know, Drew Barrymore fandom and probably the excess of movie star fandom, really. Those are just some examples of this type of film where it's really hard to pull off. And, it, and even if you do, it comes with some scrutiny because it is so self-aware. But let's just get into the movie. So yep. I should note, guys, from this point on, it's all going to be spoilers. So if Oh, you yeah, want, yeah. May God be with you all. Spoiler, spoiler. That's my spoiler sound. You'd go, spoiler, spoiler, (laughs) spoiler. Ricka, Ricka, yeah. So you have been warned. It's very much spoiler zone after this, guys. So so the movie starts out, it's a Lionsgate production. The opening scene is basically a throwback to the last scene of Con Air. First few images you see are just from whenever he meets his daughter and his wife at the end of Con Air. And then it pulls back and you realize that it's a couple of people watching Con Air. I watched Con Air recently and it's just dated and sucks. 
that's too bad, man. I, no, I, I, I love it. I love it. I, I, I the side characters are great, but man, The Rock and Face Off fuck way better than Conair. Sorry, <laughs> I disagree. I disagree. Hey, anyway, hey, we'll fight on those hills. We have we have many more volumes of this series, so yes, we'll we'll go down those roads. This young couple watching Conair, and they're just huge fans of Nicolas Cage, and then all of a sudden, these masked men burst into this room. They kidnap the, the female. They kill the man. They're off. And that's all you see. I was and then, worried. After they kidnap the chick, it goes to black. You, you, you see the title of the movie. And then we open up on Nicolas Cage, who's driving a car. And he's heading to, he's trying to get this movie role that he really wants. And so he's, he's going to this meeting with this movie producer. He's out for the role of this, this Boston kind of character. <laughs> I forgot about the, uh, the Boston accent. Which was funny to see him try and uh, impress the producer with his Boston accent. I thought that was kind of funny. And Nick. Kind of wants an answer then and there, and he acts it out in the street. And he does awful. <laughs> yeah, like it's desperation. Yeah, it's very um, desperate. His Boston accent has to be better than that in real life because he, I think, he did so well at making it sound bad, which isn't easy to do. It's like a performance on top of a performance. Yeah. But anyway, so he's he's still waiting on word whether he got the role or not, and he's heading to uh, like a sauna, like a Schwitz, with his um, his agent who's named Fink, who's played by Neil Patrick Harris. Oh, excuse me, are you Neil Patrick Harris? Yep. Oh, oh my God, what are you doing Holy here? Holy shit. Dude, Doogie Howser MD was like my favorite truck growing up. You were my idol. Yeah, that's great. Can we get going? I'm bored as shit back here. Neil, you wouldn't happen to know how to get on the highway from here, would you? Dude, I don't even know where the fuck I am right now. I was at this party earlier tonight, and some guy hooked me up with this incredible ex, and next thing I know, I'm being thrown out of a moving car. I've been tripping balls ever since. Hey, PH. Has let's talk about Neil Patrick Harris just for a second. Sure. Has he mastered that just like guide master in movies? He's always oh. just the guy that helps or talks or is that fifth tier character. But everybody goes, oh, cool. That's Neil Patrick Harris. That's He's, that's Doogie Howser, MD, in my book. Everybody's like, oh, how about your mother? I'm like, bro, that's Doogie. Yeah, he's like the plot device in every bro, movie. He was a child doctor. And he had a Mac computer, which was the coolest fucking shit you could ever imagine. Well, you know, whenever I think of Neil Patrick Harris, like young Neil Patrick Harris, I think of Starship Troopers. I think I still quote, Go bug mom, Cyrano. <laughs> him just staring at the ferret. But yeah, as of late, since How I Met Your Mother, he's really become like the like the Sherpa of any any, yeah. any kind of movie. Yeah. Like he's like he's like this is your mission, this is your whatever, yeah. and he basically plays the same role in this one. He's Nick Cage's agent. While they're at the Schwitz, Fink tells <laughs> uh, Cage that there's this other offer that came in for a million dollars, and all you got to do is be the guest of honor at this billionaire's birthday party at this island that this billionaire owns. And so he's reluctant at first. He's like, I'm not doing that. That's stupid. I'm still waiting for this role, you know, that might come through. As soon as he gets home from the Schwitz, you start to see uh, his, his, like, family life. He has a wife. He has, a, a, a like, a 16-year-old daughter. The wife, it was very interesting, the casting of this wife. Um, yeah, yeah. I was going to say the same thing. Because it's basically his ex-wife, right? They're sharing the, the responsibilities for the daughter. They're going to, like, family therapy to try and, you know, get better acquainted with each other. But then you find out that all Nick Cage wants to do is just talk old movies. In particular, the cabinet of Dr. Caligari. I'm aware of this movie. Were you aware of this movie before you I'm, saw this I'm, film? I'm aware of the movie, yes, but I don't know anything about it. The movie was made in 1923. 
it's basically like the godfather of the horror genre. People try and credit it as like one of the first horror movies ever made. But it's very artistic. It's like a step forward in the filmmaking process back in the 20s, you know. So it's impressive in that sense. Up against Con Air, it wouldn't, it doesn't, it does not fuck, you know. So that's kind of the joke. He's like, he's, he's really into these like crazy German expressionistic films that his daughter could give two fucks about, right? So there's that divide. Like he doesn't want to know what his daughter's doing. And then the daughter sees what he's into and was like, pass. It just creates a rift in the relationship. The actors is what threw me off. I mean, when I saw it in the theater, the mom and the daughter acting wise, I was like, is that his real ex-wife and his real daughter? <laughs> Maybe they're acting that well or that badly. I just thought the acting was terrible from those two, or it was just amateur actors, or I don't know what was going on with them. And the daughter what? looks kind of like him almost. I mean, a little yeah. bit. And the ex-wife, I'm like, eh, I don't know. But the acting of those two was just so different than everyone else in the film. I don't know. They, they just they didn't fit in the movie at all, acting wise. I agree with that statement. But moving forward, you now understand the dynamic of his family. You understand his financial woes. When he gets word that he did not get the role of the Boston guy that he was looking forward to, he immediately accepts the offer for the million dollars to go to that billionaire's birthday party. And the second he does this, which is one of my favorite tropes in the movie, this imaginary friend of his pops up while he's in the car. And it's like a young Nicolas Cage, who he calls Nicky. Also, guys, the, the film is just spread out with so many Nick Cage Easter eggs. Yeah. And one of the first ones is when you see Nicky, the imaginary friend, he's wearing a Wild at Heart t-shirt. He kind of has that kind of hair, that old yeah. Nicolas Cage 80s hair. It was so cool. The and, Wild at uh, Heart t-shirt made me so happy. <laughs> the friend pops up and, and just kind of reminds him who he is. You're Nicolas Cage, man. Like, like you don't do things just for the money. Like, like you do it for the art form, man. You're trying to bring him back to, like, his old days of, you know. Yeah. Coked out Nick Cage. Exactly. Know, mega star or about to be mega star Nick Cage. He was on the up and, and he's the antagonist. He, he He's riling him up the whole time because uh, he's just this old man now. There's so many Easter eggs and fun moments. But yeah, you know, he's living through it through this movie. It's great. He has a little argument with his imaginary friend, but ultimately he goes and does the job. Right. So, so he gets on a plane and he goes to this island. But simultaneously, you find out the subplot of the film which is there's this pair of FBI agents that are scoping out this island because this billionaire that invited Nick Cage to his island is into some shady shit, mob boss type of stuff. And then also they're being tagged for the kidnapping of the young lady at the very beginning of the film. That's why these FBI agents are there. And so there's, they're scoping out the billionaire's place. And then out of nowhere comes Nicolas Cage off of a plane. Yeah. I don't know if I'm losing my mind, but... I'm pretty sure that's the actor Nick Cage. From Moonstruck? Moonstruck, not from Face Off. Wait, 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 wait. Why is Nick Cage on this plane? These FBI agents who are American, they're they're like, holy shit, is that fucking Nicolas Cage? <laughs> and so they're they're flabbergasted. They don't know why he's there, but they don't bother him. They let Nick Cage do his thing where he gets to the boat to get to the island. And he's talking to the guy who's setting up the boat. And he's talking about this guy, Javi. You know this guy, Javi? He's like, yeah, is he weird? He's really asking these really personal questions to this boat guy about this hobby character who's the billionaire. And then, of course, the joke is you realize that the guy setting up the boat is Javi, who's well, played by Pedro Pascal. And so it's an embarrassing moment, but Nick Cage is the fucking man. He's able to get through it by just introducing himself. Mostly the movie going forward is about these two characters. Yeah, the base of the movie's on those two guys' shoulders, and their, their chemistry's mm -hmm. great. It actually took time for me to warm up to Pedro because at first I was like, oh, no. It just turned into like 
real cheese, almost dumb and dumber style, because Pedro's really acting like a dumbass, you know? What is this, like a, a little um, Stanislavski improv thing? Well, you can stop. Stanislavski, is he part of the resistance? Stop! You know, he's very goofy and comical and, and non-realistic, but he, he pulls it off. Like, after a while, I was like, no, they, they really mesh well together. So that was the key mm -hmm. to the movie, I think, was those two guys. Like, Nick Cage is total, like, asshole Nick Cage at this point. Like, he's literally there, you know, for the party. Leave him alone about anything else. Sitting on the chase lounge, uh, just not giving a fuck. He's just, he's just collecting his money. But then you also find out this guy, Javi, is the biggest... Nicholas Cage fan. He's like geeking out every second that he that he sees this guy. He's in this guy's presence. And they're like, when you, what's your next project or what are you going to do? And, you know, he has that total leaving Las Vegas moment. And then you also find out that this guy, Hobby, wrote a script specifically for Nick Cage to act in. And the whole reason he brought Nick Cage out to the island was to try and pitch him the idea of starring in this movie that he wrote. But he's super nervous. He's super yeah. nervous to, you, to even bring it up, you know. Which is exactly what I would do if I had money. So <laughs> show, show him my shrine. Exactly. At this point, he's he he's so lackadaisical about the whole situation. But then he gets pulled over by the FBI agents. Yeah. And they kind of lay out the situation. It's the most generic FBI. You got to get the guy. You got to spy on the guy. It's it's needed for comical value. Like something had to happen in this movie. I get it. But it's so meta, though. They talking about it in the movie. Set up a heist. Yeah. It's yeah. It's such a tropey thing. And they, they do it so cheesily. Tiffany Haddish, she's great. The goofy guy, too. What's his name? Um, I didn't, I write, I didn't write. Yeah, he's always kind of made me laugh. But, you know, it's just a generic storyline. It's Shades of the Rock, you know? It's like the wrong person to, to do this mission is on the mission yep. type of idea, which I love. You're on a need-to-know basis, and you don't need to know. <laughs> Download this device and get out. The scene has a great bit in it where the only offensive gadget that he was given <laughs> was this like sticky tape that he can put on his yeah. hand and then he can touch the bad just guy any, anywhere on the body you can touch him and that person will just fall asleep will just pass out he applies the tape to his hand when while he's just doing whatever he's doing he accidentally nope. touches his face yeah I, I think i just touched my face like a and total so then, hollywood movie star thing to do just like i think i just touched my face so then the bit is that the clock is ticking before he passes out you know and so it's this really strange bit of physical comedy where he's half dazed having to walk out of a window on a high rise and walk along the ledge of the building to get to the next window over wasn't a big fan of that part, but I did enjoy the fact that he he was able to drug himself. I completely agree because, like I said, Pedro's character was introduced, and I was like, I don't know. And then they do this first really goofy kind of action comedy scene. I hate to say it, this movie just builds and builds and builds. It just gets better and better and better every 15 minutes. I was a little worried. And so his mission before he made himself pass out was he was trying to connect a router to the bad guy's computer so they can get the info on the girl. Yeah. Obviously, he wasn't able to finish that mission, and so they need to buy more time. And so Nick Cage comes up with the idea of this hobby guy and him collaborating on a brand new script that Nick Cage will definitely be, be acting in. We are working on a movie together, a beautiful character-driven adult drama. But he has so many unresolved issues with you that it is beginning to bleed into the work in a negative way. Isn't that right, Nick? Just to buy some time to stay on the island and get more info, right? So then this is the bread and butter of the film right here. This is whenever it's just Javi and Nick just hanging out th throughout the day. And one of the first things they lay out 
is you find out what Javi's three favorite movies are. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and he says, number one, you know, no contest is face off. They didn't even have to think about it. And I'm like, hey, all right, keep going, Javi. I ain't mad at you. And uh, and he said number two was The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, was his number two yeah. favorite movie of all time, yeah. which really impressed Nick Cage. And then they asked him, what's his third favorite movie? Can you just stop stalling and answer the question? What is your third favorite movie of all time? Paddington 2. What? Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, Paddington 2, connect those dots. I mean, I don't want to be a snob, but... I cried through the entire thing and made me want to be a better man. Bullshit, Ma! <laughs> and he's like, really? He's like, have you ever seen that? The movie makes me cry every single time. So shaped they... me as a man. It's shaped. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a running joke throughout the movie, and I haven't seen it either. And what was funny is I looked at you, and you were like, you ever seen Paddington 2? It fucks. It's way better than anybody gives it credit for. It's a mm -hmm. fucking sleeper. There are some film critics that will agree that it is the greatest sequel ever made. Wow. Like, better than Terminator 2. Like, like, that's how much they believe in this film. Anyways, and so they get a screener of it, and they watch the movie, and they're both just bawling their eyes out, right? Well, think about that top three. What a list. Each film couldn't be any farther from the other one. Right. Yeah, agreed. Such a bonkers top three. And he's starting to really just be impressed by this guy, Javi. Another thing that made Nick Cage love Javi was that he has this throne dedicated to Nick Cage, like rare movie items. And one of the biggest things he has is this wax sculpture of Nick Cage as Castor Troy with the two gold 45s. And Nick Cage is just so impressed by it. I mean, there's so many Easter eggs. I'll watch that movie and freeze frame it just to see them all because I called out the Mandy chainsaws in there. There's just headshots of him. There's just all sorts of memorabilia on that shelf he has that I was just like, oh, I can't see all of it. And he knows he has to buy more time, but Javi's like, Oh, you want to do some acid with me? And Nick Cage is like, well, you know, I got to get back, you know, whatever, whatever. He's like, oh, fuck it. So he takes the acid. They're in the convertible. He's driving up the mountain. They're chipping balls. It, and this is when the cinematography and the directing comes in. It's like there's these really close shots to Nick Cage's face and Pedro's face that just they're great. It's like they're experiencing this high and they look weird as fuck. And they're making yeah. really funny faces. And it's great drug scene, I think, you know, because drug scenes to me are always fun in movies because if they're done right and accurate, it's always a good time. The funny scene is they stop and and just if you've ever done psychedelics, you know, they're just sitting there and those two guys are looking at us because they're because <laughs> they're super paranoid. Nobody's bothering them at all. They're just on a park bench and they look over at two guys eating ice cream cones. <laughs> they're like, those guys are looking at us. And that's when that chemistry between him and Cage really pops is like they're both tripping. They run. They become, you know, like Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid almost there in that scene. They're just little buddies running away and tripping balls. And there's that <laughs> connection there. And I loved it. It was fun. There's a big wall. They try to jump up. And to be honest, the wall, you can just walk around, you know. Grab my hand. Grab it. But then we will both die. And I could never live with myself after that. So you let go. You let go. <laughs> Goodbye, Nicholas Cage. Oh, I'll never forget you, man. I'll never forget you. Now you get the hell out of here. You go. You know, they get too high, they wreck the car on the way back, but then that's when it gets more FBI and all that. You got to go find the girl and, you know, all that stuff. Once they come down off their high, 
you realize that Javi had contacted his ex-wife and his daughter and brought them to the island, which I thought was kind of shades of Con Air, you know, the, the wife and the daughter. When they were tripping balls, he kind of divulged that he was uh-huh. having family troubles. So Javi took it upon himself to, to bring the family out. Now it's like super awkward because he's part of the FBI thing. His family's there, and so now they're in danger, possibly. It didn't fit to me, but it also showed a little bit of actual acting I think that was the only part that Nick Cage wanted to try to make as accurate as possible is is his actual, you know, relationship with his ex-wife and daughter, maybe. Like, I think he kind of actually was honest with some of that stuff, and that's why he kind of threw me off a little bit, but... The third act kind of kicks in. It becomes more of a, of a whodunit, trying to figure out what's going on. Nick Cage finally confronts Javi. I know what you're all about. You're a bad man, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then you find out that it's not Javi doing these things. It's Javi's brother-in-law. You've met the guy throughout the movie, but you didn't know how important he was. This guy's kind of a sinister guy. He was a fun side character. I knew from the get-go. I was like, the guy's got a creepy ass vibe about him. I don't know what it is, but... <laughs> and of course, he's the main baddie, you know? Yeah. Um, then it, it just becomes a, a fight to protect Javi, his girl, and then Nick and his ex-wife and, and his daughter trying to get off the island. His ex-wife was a, was a makeup artist, and, and the FBI's <laughs> last foil to you know, figure out this thing, this kidnapping is to put Nick Cage in movie makeup and have him show up as a guy they haven't seen in 15 years. And he plays this kind of Italian, maybe Latin guy. I don't know. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, I mean, a mixture of two because that's Nick Cage. He probably melded them both together and course, created his own character. But it was weird. And then it got really actiony, like he's saving the day. And, and that's what makes this like a triple meta film where what apparently he's doing in this film, which is in real life. <laughs> Right. They eventually make a movie about it because, man, that was amazing. Like, did that really happen? And then right near the end of the film, like right before the huge action scene, it switches to where you're watching an actual movie. The ex-wife turns into Demi Moore. The the daughter turns into somebody else. The bad guy is somebody completely different. But Nick Cage is still Nick Cage. That's what it builds up to. And it's just like, wait, what? Like you said, Demi Moore shows up at the end. And that's the final scene of Nicolas Cage saving the day and they're in the theater watching it on premiere night and he gets a standing ovation like he normally does and says have you ever seen zondelay so you don't love her nicholas cage i can't get you out of me you don't know anything about love judge reinhold and sensational film newcomer erica anderson keep a cap of what you want you might just get it Go! <laughs> and like the relationship with his daughter and his ex-wife are better. They're in the theater with him. Uh, you yeah. see that Javi's there with Gabriella, who's like his love interest. It just worked out for everybody, you know? Yeah. And then that's a wrap. Like a roll credits on that. Like it's just a great positive little vibe. Yeah. Exiting this film. I, I didn't stay for the end credits. I, I don't know if there's a post credit sequence. I uh, doubt it. So, Charles, mm-hmm. what are you going to rate this one? Okay. Now... Like I said, it was a great reason that I watched this movie in the theater. I, I got to meet brand new people. I talk about the bracket. And my narcissistic nature loves when people talk about me. <laughs> you know, so it was a great night for me. You know, really, it could have been any movie and I would have had a great time. And so I'm, I'm going to try and set aside that bias while I'm talking about my review for this film. Um, I got to be honest, Rylan, I wanted more from this film. I thought that there was something really there. And then as the movie progressed, it felt like it was getting right to that edge, but then kind of laying up, being safe, not going that extra Nicolas Cage mile that he used to take, you know. But I got to say, I love that this movie exists. I love that the movie is now in the ether, that they can use this as a reference point for all other Nick Cage films. I love seeing how animated 
Nick Cage was in the movie, which is rare nowadays. Like if, if you some watch some of his VOD stuff, he's very subdued. Like he doesn't smile. Yeah. He doesn't do anything really like very brooding in a, lo- in a lot of his films, you know. And so to see him in a positive light, see him just so animated and happy and, and, and reacting big, you know, it was it was fun for me. So nostalgic to see that again. But again, like I said, I thought they could have done so much more with it. They held themselves back for whatever reason. But I will say the star of the show was Pedro Pascal. I thought he was incredible. Oh. Just being a Nick Cage super fan while also trying to sway the audience with his performance before we realized the big reveal. And when it came to the comedy in the film, I thought that they really doubled down on the best jokes being in the trailers. Yeah. Um, the 20 grand bit was was really funny in the trailer. But then when they showed it in the movie, it was it was a much longer joke, you know, yeah. which I, I don't think hit near as well as the trailer joke did, if I'm being honest. Nick Cage, like you said, he's getting a little long in the tooth. He is a much older man. It it really is a lot to the co-stars to help with the movie. For whatever screen time Neil Patrick Harris had, he did his part. Tiffany Haddish is always great in whatever she does. She's super outlandish. I even thought Baron Holtz, for the time he had, was really good. I thought the location shots were beautiful, you know, of the of the beach and the sand and, yeah. you know, the, the the great wide shots they were able to get. But I really thought there was something else they could do. And it's not a knock on the movie. I think that, you know, for the budget that it had and the, the risk that it was taking already, I think it's a, a out of the park. It's an amazing film in that respect. But as far as Charlie loving movies, it, it, it doesn't get a high score because of the nostalgia. You know, when we do our stepping into the cage episodes, we have kind of a different rating system for these movies. We go one out of five Nicholas Cages. So with that in mind. Out of five Nick Cages, I would give this movie two and one-third Cage from, from the head down. God damn it! Less than half of the full Cage, you know? <laughs> Which, you know, it's a half I, mass, guys. It's a half mass. At this moment in time, I know it's kind of controversial. But I, I got to say, go watch the movie again. It's Once the nostalgia wears off and the movie is just there, yep. I want to say it's it's a Lionsgate production. You know, it's... Yeah. It's it's kind of a it's kind of a low budget kind of experiment, which okay. I love, but the final product is still what it is. So, like I said, I love that the movie exists. He could get a come up, which I'm seeing right now. Like he's getting so many more opportunities now. In that respect, the film is doing its job. But as far as like a great film, I don't think it's there. You know, but but yeah. I want everybody to go see this film to see the nostalgia and the Easter eggs, and to see how Nick Cage still has it. Good little watch. You know, uh, what about you, Rylan? What, what would you give this film? Well, just first and foremost, it was way better than anticipated. You know, when I looked at the trailer and I was like, uh-huh, it had the cheesy jokes and I knew what the film was going to be about. It didn't surprise me at all in the storyline and the plot. But what impressed me was the direction, the cinematography, the action and Pedro and Nick's chemistry. I, I just didn't expect that. I thought they were just going to be zinging one liners, but you could kind of tell. I don't know. There was just this bond between them you could see it stood out as a fun movie too there's so many references to things and it you know the pacing was pretty well it was it was, it was plot was not anything brand new yeah well well written <laughs> but you know it can tell that this is just a fun film that if you're you know person our age and you've been a nick cage fan for we're going on 30 plus years man i mean raising arizona was 87 
So, I mean, it's a cool <laughs> career to look back on. They did it really well. Like I said, the directing, the cinematography, the fun in it. Nicolas Cage looks great. He's acting. He does super high dramatic scenes. He does action scenes. He does comedy scenes. Yeah. You get it all. You get the full fucking cage. And he had fun with it. And I think I'm just loving the outpour of support for him. And it's a fun movie, man. I The, the, the number one reason why I'm giving it an entire point than I probably would is because it's original, man. I would say 15 out of the last 25 movies I've seen in a theater are sequels or non-original movies. I mean, this is getting a solid four to five. Yeah! Um, wow. Okay. It's so original. Not only did I go see a brand new Nicolas Cage film in the theaters for the first time in 15 years, you, I got to add to the to the experience, too. I love adding, hey, man, I went to a cool meetup with movie people at a badass theater with my boy Charlie. That gives it like 0. 0.1, 0. 0.2 points just right there. Okay, so so you are working that into your review. I always. I mean, you okay. know, you have to. You've only seen the movie once, right? Right. I encompass the whole experience. You know, now if you've seen the movie 30 times, it's Jaws. You got a little bit more opinion to go on. But I'm going off a of one fun night, man. I had a fucking four out of five cage nights. It would have been five out of five if he would have showed up. Motherfucker's busier than he's been since 1996, motherfucker. Yeah, his schedule is full. Yeah. Yeah, I, I hope it's nothing but wine and roses for that man from here on out, dude. For real, he he deserves it. But we got one more movie that we watched this week in honor of the man himself. Let's get into this next movie. The Martin Scorsese 1999 thriller, Bringing Out the Dead. Let's do it. So get ready, motherfuckers, for tonight's main attraction. movie we have a call chief somebody's bleeding 44th and a saving someone's life is like falling in love you wonder if you become immortal as if you've saved your own life as well but taking credit when things go right it was the neighborhood I grew up in and where I had worked most as a paramedic. And it held more ghosts per square foot than any other. Why did you kill me, Frank? I didn't kill you. No, you didn't, Frank, and thank you, but there's still a couple hours left on our ship. I haven't seen the ghosts. You ever notice people who see things are always crazy? You swore that you'd fire me if I came in later, and you swore it before. Nobody gets fired, sir. Look at me. You have the power of Jesus to spare this worthless man. Rise up! Damn, you guys are good. Everyone at that hospital is crazy! <laughs> That's ridiculous. <laughs> Don't make me take off my sunglasses. Come on, Frank! Get with the program! Yeah! You feel better, Frank? I think the worst is over. Oh, no. It can always get worse. <laughs> Nicholas Cage. <laughs> Help others and you help yourself, is my motto. I understood how crazy it was to think this way. But then, something good will happen. Everything just glows.
Are you okay? I've never felt better in my life. How are you? I'm good. Good. You can't put Directed by Martin Scorsese. Uh, I'm not sure how long it's been since you've seen this film, Rylan. A long time, and I, and I, like I said, I didn't appreciate it because I got my mind fucking blown. It's insane, isn't it? Um, it's, dude, I, I didn't even know it was Scorsese. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I was baby film bro. <laughs> I was like little infant film bro, and I was like, yo, dude, it's got Nick Cage. I'm gonna watch it, but it's 2000. And then I watched probably half of it. And I was like, I don't get it, and probably turned it well, off. Like his face hasn't come off once. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, wait, where's where's the part where he changes faces with Patricia Arquette? No, he doesn't do that. Well, then fuck that. Anyways, I want to say I watched this movie about 10 years ago, but then I watched it for this show and it did not disappoint once again. I mean, on top of it being a Scorsese film and all that, it's such a late 90s film. Like the way yeah. it was filmed, like the lighting choices, the editing, so indicative of that late 90s aesthetic. And so uh, did you have the numbers, the uh, the box office on this one? But this is what blows my mind about it. It was 1999. We had The Matrix. We had all the other things, I guess, to preoccupy ourselves because this was very dark, but it was still a Martin Scorsese-directed film. $55 million, and mm. it took in about 17. So it was a colossal failure. Think about Cage from 94 to 2000. He was just like fucking lava. He was so hot. Fucking good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Leaving Las Vegas, The Rock, Con Air, Face Off, City of Angels, Snake Eyes, 8mm, then Bringing Out the Dead. Right before Mega Hit, Con in 60. Yeah, and so it's like, uh, I want to say this, along with his previous two, were very dark films. Uh, Snake Eyes and 8mm. Like, they were both much more adult fare for, you know, the last three movies before that, his action trilogy. This is kind of in line with what he was doing two projects beforehand. He was working with great directors, making great stories, a little bit more adult-themed. And this, I mean, you want to talk about adult-themed, this movie has everything an R-rated film could ever want to give you. That's why, of course, 16-year-old Rylan was like, I just remember me thinking, oh, it's a ghost movie with Nick Cage. The trailers, of course, just pointed more towards that aspect. The title of yeah. the film is Bringing Out the Dead, you know? Yep, yep. I want to say in 99, I wasn't even aware of Taxi Driver or Scorsese's affiliation to it. So when I heard Scorsese, I, I want to say I probably thought about, um, God, what did, what did Scorsese do? Like Goodfellas, right? Goodfellas Casino. But even then, I mean, 1999 was like my freshman year high school, sophomore year. You know, I was just finally like, I hate to say, like my cycle years, like you say. Mm -hmm. Or just blossoming into movies and being like, man, I really like movies. Like DVDs came out. I wanted to watch them and collect them. And the movies that were coming out in the theaters were just getting better and better. I mean, we're coming off, you know, mega movies like Titanic and all this cool shit. And mm -hmm. I was super excited, you know. So it's crazy, yeah, though, that this, this thing only made 17 versus the 55. You know, and I remember when, when they did the promo for the movie on the come up, like. It was a lot right before the release, and then once it was released, it was kind of went quiet. There was nobody really telling me, you got to go see this film, or this, this movie's a triumph. Or, and all the reviews I read, you know, it was just that it was dark, that it was confusing. It was, a, it was a strange decision for Scorsese to make. Oh, no! What? I just remembered I'm so stupid. I had beef lo mein last night. I can't eat the same thing two nights in a row. It's almost 2 o'clock. What the hell am I going to do? What are you getting? I'm not hungry. If, if Scorsese made this film now, it'd be winning Oscars. 
we want dark, weird, creepy shit right now. If you put this movie out right now and Ryan Gosling played Nick Cage's role, it's it's great. It's amazingly good. I love that I watched it 20 years later when I had an appreciation for film and acting mm-hmm. and Nicolas Cage. But, dude, I mean, we have to give credit to the majority of the side characters, which is John Goodman. Tom Sizemore, yeah. I mean, Tom Sizemore is just playing himself. I think he just was <laughs> poked out the entire time. It makes sense. Patricia Arquette as the, the main romantic lead. He's had a rough life. He grew up on our street. It's a little crazy from it, but that's no excuse for not giving somebody a lousy cup of water. Do you just want to get into this movie, man? Yeah, yeah. So the movie starts off hot. It's a touchstone picture, which, by the way, is a subsidiary of Disney, which is also the, the studio that made, like, Turner and Hooch. If Disney Plus wanted to, they could totally put Bringing Out the Dead on their streaming service. From moment one, as soon as the black screen with the credits goes away, we're off to the races on this film. It just immediately punches into putting a car in drive and heading down the street to go to the first call of the movie. And Nicolas Cage plays this super burnt out EMT worker who's working like the graveyard shift in like one of the seediest neighborhoods in, in New York where just all kinds of mayhem and just a cesspool of just crime. He, he's, he looks like a man who's just kind of seen it all in the city. The night started out with a bang, a gunshot to the chest on a drug deal gone bad. All the elements were in place for a long weekend. Heat, humidity, moonlight. I was good at my job. There were periods where my hands moved with a speed and skill beyond me. But in the last year, I'd started to lose that control. Things had turned bad. I hadn't saved anyone in months. I just needed a few slow nights, followed by a couple of days off. Kind of like a love letter to the city, really, about the underbelly of the city and what these civic workers have to put up with, you know, on a daily basis. And the first call was like on the fourth floor of this, you know, walk up. Uh, They finally get there, the whole family's there, the guy's dying, and he actually flatlines as they're working on him. But then they defibrillate him and they're able to find a heartbeat and a pulse. They get him down the building and they take him to the hospital. And then you see a whole new set of characters when you get to the hospital. All the hospital workers that know the ENTs and they're talking back and forth and, you know, dealing with the local New Yorkers who are constantly in and out of this hospital. No, 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 guys. Don't even think about it. We're on diversion here. We're not accepting any more patients. The dispatcher should let you know that, Frank. I cannot do it. No. We picked him up before 49th and 10th. You're the closest. Yeah, well, where do you want me to put him, Frank? Where? You tell me. He wanted to come here. He said that the nurses at Misery were the best. Just nothing but hustle and bustle. Like, all around them even when they're in the car it, it just feels manic the pacing and the mood of this film is just it's relentless and so whenever they're working on the old man who was eventually revived we're introduced to patricia arquette's character who was just you know a, a very distant daughter of this man who kind of really showed up because he was in his last days you know but you find out later on that they were very removed in their relationship I want to say the movie kind of works in three acts where three different nights and each night he's working with a different person. Absolutely. And yeah. I actually like that. That's that keeps a little bit of structure throughout this crazy pace, like movie. fever dream. Like nothing is, is real. It's it's there's a lot of visions and, and he sees dead people and he's just downtrodden, man. He's just, he's on his last little bit of gas, man. Like he, he knows he's on the verge of like madness. And that reflects that. I mean, it's a Scorsese film. It's beautifully shot. It is taxi driver. I hate, that I oh, actually love that I watched Taxi Driver and analyzed it on this podcast and then seen this after because there's, you know, obvious correlation there. It was written by Paul Schrader, the writer yeah, of, yeah. of Taxi Driver. Yeah, him and Scorsese are longtime collaborators. 
Thank God for the rain, which has helped wash away the garbage and the trash off the sidewalks. I'm working long hours now, six in the afternoon to six in the morning, sometimes even eight in the morning, six days a week, sometimes seven days a week. It's a long hustle, but it keeps me real busy. I can take in three, 350 a week, sometimes even more when I do it off the meter. I wrote it down. I was like, it's Travis Bickle with an ambulance. It is. If he was, he was so compelled, he would just clean the streets, you know? So the first act is is him partnered up with John Goodman's character. And, and each one of these partners has their own little layer of depth to their character. And John Goodman's character is a guy who's basically working this job to get to another job. Like he's, yeah. he, it's like a means to an end for him. So he's not very invested. You ever think of doing anything else? Sure. Taking my captain's exam next year. And once the kids are in school, Louise can go back to the post office. I thought, what the hell, I'll start my own medic service. Out on the island, the volunteers are becoming salaried municipal. It's just a matter of time and who you know. Someday it's going to be Chief Larry calling the shots. Whereas Nicolas Cage's character is almost too invested in this life to where he cares way too much where he shouldn't have to. And even the people that he works around, the people he talks to are like, why are you doing this to yourself? It's making you miserable. You fail more than you succeed. This is really fucking with your head. You need to stop. You got to talk about the narration too, though. Scorsese trope of the narration. Yes. I mean, but it's Nick Cage narration, son. (laughs) That's different. That hits different. I'd waited. Sure, the sickness would break. Maybe the next call, maybe tomorrow, the feeling would drop away. More than anything else, I wanted to sleep like that. Close my eyes and drift away. Zebra. 6-3 Zebra. So he's narrating his shitty life on top of it. It just, and I was like, I want to save everyone, but you only save like 7%. And I was really bad about it. So that was almost Forrest Gump mixed with Nip Cage at the end. I don't know. I'm really sad right now. Have you ever seen Zondelay? So you don't love her. Nicholas Cage. I can't get you out of me. You don't know anything about love. Judge Reinhold and sensational film newcomer Erica Anderson. Give the cap of what you want. You might just get it. Joe! Zandalee. I think it's that narration that really mirrors Taxi Driver. Oh, he's, totally. He's narrating his own thoughts, and his own thoughts are pretty fucking wicked. Yeah, yeah. You know, but he's constantly questioning why he's still doing it, why he's even experiencing this anymore. His faith in humanity has been severed so badly because of this job. These are the things that are going through his mind in this first act. Just throughout the night, they just keep getting these calls. We as the audience are just kind of part of it. It's very cathartic. We're right in the thick of the action whenever they're helping these people. And you find out you know, little quirks about the job, one of them being that there's this old, smelly, drunk dude that calls basically every single night and has to be taken to the hospital to detox because he's just he just gets so incredibly schnockered every single night. <laughs> I forget what his name is in the movie. This guy, he's just really bad off. Around the same time, you run into this character named Noel, who's played by Mark Anthony. And he's just this guy who's off his meds and when he's off his meds he just becomes this menace to society he's wrecking personal property he's breaking the law he's you know he's causing a disturbance but for some reason nicholas cage in his little hero complex he feels like he should save this guy for whatever reason everybody's telling him that guy's a dirtbag like he's gonna fuck you over in the end but nicholas cage even knowing that he's still just like 
I got to do the right thing. I got to take this guy to the hospital. I got to get this guy some water. Excuse me. You're a kind man. I could see that. A man like you's not going to deny a poor, sick, dying, helpless man a small cup of water, would you? Yeah. Just all these experiences just kind of fucking with his head. One of the things I really loved was after the first night, you kind of got a sense of how his day works, you know, where he just sleeps all day. He sleeps right up until he has to go to work. And while he's off work, he's just thinking. He's just thinking in his head about all this crazy shit he's been seeing in his life. So it makes it to where his time off isn't even worth it because he knows he has to go right back to that job the next day. I thought it was a great way to present that. They always go back to that girl he didn't save, you know. Yeah, Rose kept showing up in people's faces and in scenarios, and when he was definitely tripping, and he's an insomniac, pretty much he looks like it. They made him look really tired. I hate to say, but in like 99, he just wasn't looking good. You know, his hair was thinning, he wasn't wearing the wigs yet, you know. Um, He looked a little out of shape to me. You know, he ate steak for a while after that three-year run of, Face off the rock and con air and city of angels. He was like, you know what? I'm going to get fat and eat steak for a couple of years. He had the raccoon eyes like crazy the way he performed. He looked gaunt a little bit, but also just out of shape, you know? Yeah. Which I think was kind of the point. He doesn't have to stay like fully torqued, you know, like he was probably eating really shitty. He's not slaying like in Wild at Heart, Lord Dirt. He's not, he's not, he didn't have to be in that good of shape. You know what I mean? For real. No, no. He's, he's definitely an outsider when it comes to being part of society in this film. Yeah. And so then we get to the second day and it's this great scene at the beginning of the second day of his, of his job where he goes to his, his manager, basically. What am I going to do with this again? Pierce, I just got off the phone with Boa Command. Out of 12 shifts this month, you've been late for nine. Sick four. That includes the shift where you, you came in late, you went home early. Sick, that's what I've been telling you. You're sick. You're killing me. Do you know that? You got no sick time left, according to command. He's like, he's trying to get fired. Yeah, he's like, trying. He doesn't want to quit because he has too much of a complex about it. Yep. So he's trying to force these people to fire him. But then you find out that they're so short staffed. And they're spread so thin that they can't afford to fire this guy. And he looks like a piece of shit sitting in a chair. The boss is like, out of 12 days, you showed up late for nine. You caught off three and you were, you know, sick two or something. It's like, man, it's a good scene where he's trying his best (laughs) just to to give up. He wants to give up. He he has too many morals, you know. He needs the thing to happen to him. He he doesn't want to do the thing, you know. And I love the the boss. He's like, you know what? I'll tell you what. I'll, I'll front you an extra week of sick time. Just to keep you on the job. Like, they, they they cannot afford to lose this guy. So based on his complex, he gets back out there. And he's on his second shift. And he's with this guy named Marcus, who's played by Ving Rhames. In the story, I guess he's like a part-timer. It's like two to three nights a week. It's more of the same in the second act, where you kind of see different calls. Uh, one of them was a pregnancy. One was a, a guy that seemed dead, but he wasn't. And so they were like fucking with the family, uh, making them think that it was God's work that brought the guy back to life. What's his name? I be banging. What you mean I be banging? I be banging. What the hell kind of name is I be banging? I don't know his real name. Frederick Smith. Okay, Freddie. It's Frederick. Okay, I be banging. We're going to bring you back from the dead. Now, I want everybody here to grab the hand of the person next to you. Come on now, we ain't got much time. And look up towards the heavens. Dear Lord, here I am again, asking one more chance for a sinner. I thought Ving Rhames was amazing in this as that Southern preacher style. So charismatic. He always plays the tough ass, hard ass guy. I think he had a little fun with that one. And I liked him a lot. I thought he was great. I thought he was a great change of pace. It's like depressing. And then he comes in and I'm like, all right, here's some energy that we need. 
Oh my God! Talk about you know, like fucking hell. Fun facts: Did you notice the the voice on the dispatch? Oh, of course, Scorsese. But during the uh, Marcus scenes, the lady love, did you recognize her? No, 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 no. Uh, uh. That was Queen Latifah on the dispatch during the Marcus scenes, which marks one of my favorite parts in the entire movie. They're near the end of their shift; they're going to break out the gin, and they're just going to drive back to HQ. But then they get one last call from this dispatch lady. Six two young, I have priorities holding. Pick up the radio. Don't do it, Marcus, please. Tell her the bus died. Tell her the radio's not working. Tell her our backs are out. Just you know, tell her tell her we're too drunk to take any more calls. Okay? Let's take it! No. Six too young, this is Marcus. Only for you, baby. Only for you. <laughs> Bing Rames' character is just so enamored with this chick. He puts it in drive, he hits the accelerator, and he's going way too fast. And then out of nowhere, I, I had to rewind this part. We coming! No! We coming! Thank you, Jesus. He just wrecks the entire ambulance. Oh, yeah. Like, he, he, he smashes into the back of the sedan, which sends him flying. He rotates 90 degrees and then lands on the side of, of the ambulance on the ground. I was like, what the fuck just happened? Terrible wreck. And, the, and of course, Nick Cage just gets out and walks away. Yeah, he gets out. He's laughing his ass off. Marcus gets out. He's laughing, too. But then Nick Cage divulges that he is done. He is so fucking done. That's the last straw. Too bad, so sad. Uh, but also during the Marcus time, the appearance of this girl, Rose, that Nick Cage couldn't save is more and more prominent the second night. Like she shows up a lot more and just, just keeps freaking him out. So, so his madness is growing. These images in his head just keep on filling his brain in a, in a more consistent nature along as the time goes on. And so then we get to a, a strange scene in the film where it's daytime and he goes and checks on Patricia Arquette's character to give her news about her father. When they meet up, I guess Patricia Arquette's character was on her way to like a dope house to do what dopers do whenever they're stuck in hard times. They get high. They go to this dope house and she tells him not to go in, that she'll be right in, right out. But then time passes and she's not coming out. So he goes in and investigates and you find out that it is what he thinks it is. And you find out that she's like this recovering junkie and she relapsed. This was the day that she relapsed. She's bombed out on this stuff called Red Death, which had been introduced in the movie beforehand as this like new drug on the market that really fucks people up. (laughs) Robocop 2 style. Yeah. And then you get this great scene after you find out that she's asleep on the drugs between Nick Cage's character and like the drug dealer who's played. Uh, the, only, the only other stuff I remember this guy being in was uh, he played Pablo Escobar in the movie Blow. He's and also just, smiley in um, in um, uh, training day. Training day. Hello. Hey, what's up, Lizzie? What you doing? Hey, smiley. Just um, doing homework. You want to talk to Tony? No, no, no. I want to talk to you. Uh, you go to school today? Yep. Yeah. All day you didn't dish. No. No, I went to every class. Why? I heard different. <laughs> nah. Cops stalked you today? Great. Yeah, he was smiley. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, he plays this this really charismatic drug dealer who kind of lays it out for Nick Cage. Like the job that Nick Cage is doing is kind of futile. It doesn't matter how many times you try and save them, they're gonna go towards danger. The real problem is them deciding to do the shit in the first place. Like, it's not your fault. Frank, you are making a serious mistake, my man. I mean, she's just gonna come back. Oh, I'm Frank. 
You owe me $10. And, and basically saying that this chick is not your problem. She's just a junkie, man. That's just what happens. But Nick Cage, you know, being the, I guess, the all-righteous version of this person. I guess he's the most righteous person in the whole story, really. But even he's corrupted in, in certain ways. The guy offers him a hit, and so he takes it. And he slips into dreamland and he has this wicked dream full of images of this girl and the, the, the time that he couldn't save her. He just kind of replays that incident in his head. Heavy, 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 heavy. So right after that, he breaks up out of his sleep. He's freaking out inside the drug dealer's house. Ah! Ah! Frank! Ah! Frank, take it easy. Take it. What happened? He flipped out. Oh, now, Frank, Frank, be cool, my brother. Look, you haven't what you call the paradoxical reaction, right? But listen to me, Frank. Frank, where are you going? He pulls Patricia Arquette out of the dope house. They run out. Even Patricia Arquette was like, what would you do that for? I was I was getting high. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, what the hell, you know? It's really just a, an example of just how we're all just damaged people, which I thought was a great message to tell. There's not that hero in this situation. Like, even if this guy's trying to be a hero, he's not getting it done because he's just a man. Arquette's character, Mary, was just his only solace, like his only, like the only person to confide in. And it's like a trip, 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 trip. But when he's talking to her, it slows down. And it's like the reason why he gets up the next day. And as the viewer, you you get to slow down for a minute and go, whoa, whoa, like you get to catch up a little bit because it's it's intense. Like the rides and the ambulance, you know, with each character, it's just it's got all these over the top moments. It's it's nuts. So now they're both guilty of doing drugs. He ends up crashing at her place to just let the drugs wear off. And then he goes to work on his third day. And then it's another bit at, at the beginning of the third day with his boss saying, you know, I, I, can't, I can't fire you today. I'll, I'll do it tomorrow. I promise. Hey, Peters, you're late. I know it, but I can't fire you today. I got nobody to write 66 x-ray with walls. No, I got a form for you to make out about the accident too when you get some time. Huh? Come here, kid. Come here. Look. I'm going to fire you tomorrow. I promise you. What What if there is no tomorrow? We, we got to get you through tonight. And he's and he's set up with his third partner, who's played by the fucking crazy-ass Tom Sizemore. Yeah. Who He doesn't get a lot of work nowadays, but back in the late 90s, bro, he, he was just known as that super loose, macho guy. Yeah, loose cannon. I mean, it's, it's like 1999 Tom Sizemore. Like, I mean, he did Natural Born Killers and then... You know, right after this was Saving Private Ryan and stuff like he was in big, big films. But the also the other thing about Tom Sizemore is that he himself as a person is like an addict. He's like Robert Downey Jr. type guy. You know, he just loves to party. But he also has these stories of him getting belligerent while he's partying or whatever. And so there's right. these stories in Hollywood of Tom Sizemore just being this total dickhead while he's fucked up and getting into fights and fight with whatever girl he's with at the time. You know, there's all these stories about Tom Sizemore. And so he already had a reputation even in 99 of being just that guy, just that troublemaker guy. On set, off sets, you know, showing up late, showing up wasted, showing up, you know, whatever. And there's actually a fun story about Saving Private Ryan with Tom Sizemore. The only person that wanted to cast Tom Sizemore was Spielberg. Everybody else was like, this guy's a liability. <laughs> you know, he's 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 going to get wasted. He's going to relapse. He's going to come into some money with the Saving Private Ryan money, and he's going to blow it on drugs. Like, everybody was telling him this. But Spielberg, he's like, Sizemore is the perfect person for this role. So they offer the role to Tom Sizemore, and legend has it that Spielberg sat face-to-face with Tom Sizemore and told him that every day you're on set, you're taking a drug test. If you fail even one of those tests, you're fired. I don't care. I don't care how far along into production we are. 
You fail one of those tests, you're gone. This is Spielberg talking to Sizemore. Wow. Face. And, and Sizemore promised that he would not fail a single one of those yeah, drugs. You're not going to ever say no to Steven Spielberg if you're, right. an, if you're an actor. And to Sizemore's credit, he passed every single one of those drug tests. Wow. And so, I mean, of course, as soon as production was over, I mean, come I was on. Gonna say, did, did he cast his check? <laughs> Should have been in uh, Vegas in like 2000. I was just as saving Private Ryan, bitches. Yeah, oh, absolutely. 66 X-ray. Don't even think about getting coffee. I have a call for you, too. 66 Exterminator here. We like our coffee bloody. This better be good. My partner's dying to help someone. You're in luck, X. Your patient awaits you with bleeding wrists in the tunnel. The theme of Tom Sizemore is that he's just a wild man, you know, and so he he does not not impress in this role either. I think he's just as insane and just as intense as he always is in most of his roles to where he's just this hothead guy who's always looking to like maybe start a fight with like a bum or something like something come at me. I'm wanting to fight it. You know, he's 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 super wild card, man. He's the Joker. Everybody loves the wild card. And so this is the third day. Nick Cage is like in super bad shape. He's making like little glucose cocktails to try and stay wasted on the job. Yeah. Yep. They were looking to start some shit. I guess a little bit of time had lapsed between calls. And so they were kind of bored. And so they're like, let's just start some shit. So then we'll have to bring somebody to the hospital. <laughs> so they stop and Sizemore's character is like, hey, there's that fucking bum who's been yep. causing all kinds of trouble. And it turns out to be Noel, uh, the guy he's trying to save. What Noel's doing at the time is he's taking a baseball bat and he's smashing windows, out window, out, yeah. smashing windows out of cars on the street. He could easily get arrested. You know, they were planning on playing a prank on Noel, but plans change because Nick Cage decides to be the fucking hero again. <laughs> he's talking to Noel. He lets himself be known that this prank is happening. And so Noel becomes wise to it. He runs off. The call is for the drug dealer's house where the guy. Oh, that's right. We got where he gets where he. <laughs> Gets impaled on the fence. Oh, uh, great scene. You're right. Great scene. Cliff Curtis, he, he's he's impaled on this iron fence, and they're trying to cut it off, and all the sparks are flying. And obviously, he's about to die because he gets a you know he's got a metal spike through his chest. But Cage just knows he's about to die, and he's listening to him. And see, Frank, make some money. Fine-looking lady on your arm. Then everybody wants to take a piece. Yeah. Just some kid who, who I wouldn't let wash my Mercedes comes to the Oasis, starts shooting at me. I thought I could make it on the balcony like Tiger, you know. But he's fat, falls faster, that's why. I'm trying to watch my weight, and look what happens. <laughs> oh, God damn, that's hot. While they're talking, they're using a torch to kind of cut the iron railing. In the middle of their talk, the iron railing gives way. And then him and Nick Cage are both going over the railing. They're able to get both of them back onto the balcony safely and then get into the hospital. They're able to save the drug dealer's life. And there's this great moment in the movie where Nick Cage is about to leave. And the drug dealer says, hey, man, you saved my life. And Nick Cage just looks at him and goes, I know. It didn't even matter to him. And he had mentioned the whole movie, how he hadn't saved a life and how long. And and the next scene, he does he does one more where he goes against his hero status. And he yeah, has the last creepy scene where he's breathing that like I was like, oh, God, that's 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 acting. His last little act of being a hero, 
he fulfills what he thinks this guy's wish is, uh, which is Patricia Arquette's dad, to die, to end his life. Like, throughout the, all three shifts, you find out that Patricia Arquette's dad has been trying to die, but they keep yeah. reviving him. Sedating him. Keep yeah. sedating him so he won't battle them for taking out his, you know, his breathing apparatus. He wants to die. But, I mean, but the doctors don't know that he wants to die. But but they just keep reviving him because they're able to do it, you know? And that's why you gotta have that DNR on your, on your list, bro. Do not resuscitate, <laughs> motherfucker. I, let me go in his last act of mercy he pulls off all the instruments that would keep track of patricia arquette's dad's vitals and he puts them on himself to kind of give that ruse that he's still alive you know and then put all the stuff back on him let him flatline and the nurses try to revive him but he's too far gone what's this he just caught it what a way to begin the day are we doing cpr Mm -hmm. one mil epi let me see this is this the man who was down in the er for so long yes it is 17 codes. God. Who's this man? He says he's the one who brought him in. He fulfilled a wish. He saved a life. It was a good day. And so once his shift is over, he goes and visits Patricia Arquette, lets her know that her father has finally passed, which is bittersweet to her because she's she's sad that he's gone, but she didn't know him very well. And it's one less stress in her life now. It's, it's closure. And we're moving on. And then the last shot of the movie the girl asks him into her apartment and they just kind of lay together. Just a couple of people that have just seen some shit. They're not even looking at each other. They're just looking forward and they're just kind of holding each other in this bed. It's just a great shot. And, and the, the camera's moving in and then it fades to black and then it goes to credits. Yeah. Like I thought it was it's- magnificent, dude. I thought it was so well-rounded. The, the characters were deep. The action in the movie was so sporadic and fast. And like the, the movie's two hours, but it felt like an hour 20. Yeah. Right. I'm so glad that I caught it later in life to now I appreciate the fuck out of it because look at the acting in this thing. Goodman has got a great scene to chew on. I mean, I've loved Patricia Arquette since, you know, back in the day. Love her. Mm-hmm. Uh, true romance. Could you say this is Sizemore's best film? Could be. It's underrated and overlooked, man. That's my main point to make of this because 99 was just such a big year for movies. I just think it just was kind of swept under the radar. And Scorsese at the time, taxi driver in an ambulance. It's such a great way to view New York. Music. I talk about music a lot, man. Great 90s music. You had some R.E.M. in there, some fucking uh, red, red, what? I mean, come on, some of these 90s fucking shit. Every time Scorsese makes a film, he always makes the best music choices. I never worry about the music in a Scorsese film. I know that's secure. It's a reliable Scorsese film. He doesn't stray too far from his own formula, which I love to see. I I love to see him go back to his own personal presentation, which is always fun. It's a late 90s version of him which is, you know, so rare to see. But I think it's review time, Ryland. Like we said, uh, we have a different format on these Cage episodes. We do one out of five Nick Cages. How many Nick Cages would you give bringing out the dead? It's just a solid three and a half Nick Cages. I mean, there's so much I didn't talk about with the the cinematography. There's this beautiful black and white scene in the alley with uh, with, with Patricia Arquette. The absence of color and, and Scorsese really doing his thing. But, you know, hey, Robert Ebert gave this thing a four-star rating back in the day. I thought that was a cool tidbit I wrote down. I'm just so glad that I got to watch it after Taxi Driver and all this knowledge I've gained in the last two years of doing this podcast. I'm like a Scorsese, uh, uh, you know, I know more about him now than ever. So it's it's great. That's a three and a half cages. So you give Unbearable Weight a better score than, than this yeah. one. Okay. This one's way more artsy and deep. If I saw this in 1999, me and you were like in our emo stage. We yeah. showed up all, like on a rainy day, all pissed off and shit. <laughs> Maybe okay, be a 5.0. So, 
we did not mention the cinematography in this film. I love one of the, the choices where whenever he gets into like his white shirt gets into light, it just beams. It's kind of like a representation of him being that savior to yeah. people. That subtext of it. It's a metaphor. I mean, all these things put together. We've talked about them. The fast-paced nature, the Scorsese isms that are all throughout. Nicolas Cage's performance, the star-studded co-stars. With all of that combined, I gotta give this thing four point seven out of five. Nick Cage's. Oh. It's almost a full Nick Cage, man. This is going to be one of your top Nick Cages. It's running on all cylinders, dude. I think that he was right <laughs> hot. That's my say. I think his choice to work with Scorsese at this moment was a great choice. Scorsese's way of saying, Cage, you, you've made it, basically. Yeah. Yeah, because he never worked with Scorsese again after this, which is another Nick Cage ism. Like he works with these uh-huh. great directors, but he doesn't work with them on multiple occasions, like Johnny Depp or, or DiCaprio. Yeah. He kind of does his thing, he gets his knowledge, and he moves on because he's a fucking he's, amazing actor. I unzip and I dip. <laughs> Four and three quarter cages on this one. Great score, but uh, but yeah, so that was volume six of stepping into the cage man i had so much fun talking cage man for so long <laughs> <laughs> but uh, as far as this show is concerned guys we have a few ideas that we're, we're about to realize one is we are dedicating an entire episode to the art of professional wrestling ladies and gentlemen welcome to the main event are going to have a guest on we're going to be talking nothing but wrestling and we're going to pick a wrestling movie to talk about so stay tuned for more info on that uh we also have uh a member of the super serious movie club gang that's going to be a guest in the future an admin from that group who is an absolute movie encyclopedia and it'd be so fun to have him on and do a little trivia and talk movies but we got tons of ideas guys stay tuned for more episodes man oh yeah brother and so for rylan johnson my name is charlie thompson and we have been spitting the real shit. Uh, we'll see you guys next time. He's out. I mean, May's around the corner. It's a big movie month. I mean, I'd love to go yeah. see Top Gun with you. I'll bring the volleyball <laughs> and, and the Wrangler jeans and the and the hand tape. Yeah. Playing with the boys. Yeah. Hi, yeah. <laughs> I am a passenger. Good.